Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of Swings and Mishes. Before I get into all the action with Craig, stick with me for just a minute here as I tell you about our new sponsor, Ticket Rev. I think you're really going to like them. Ticket Rev is the first ever reverse marketplace for event tickets. So what that means is this. Buyers go on to TicketRev.com and create bids on events by simply choosing their preferred seating location and naming their offer price. Sellers are then able to see those bids and accept a bid matching the ticket's location and sell instantly. No more having to list on StubHub, Facebook, or wherever else for tickets to games or concerts. So there's advantages for both parties here. If you're the seller, you get not only a better commission than the rest of those sites, but you can sell your tickets instantly. You never have to list them on sale again. And if you're the buyer, you now have increased flexibility. You can choose your seat and you can name your price. It's better ticket deals and buyers finally can help determine their own pricing. Plus, we have a deal for you right now. A promo code on TicketRev.com. And that promo code, as always, is SWINGS. So all you need to do is go to TicketRev.com. That's TicketREV.com. And use the promo code SWINGS for $20 off your first bid. That's 20 bucks off your next tickets to a Marlins game. Guys, that pays for parking itself. Just go to TicketRev.com and use our promo code SWINGS. And we'll see you out there at Lone Depot Park. Now, let's get to the podcast. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome back to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your co-host and producer, Jeremy Taché, joined by, as Ethan Badowski introduced him the other day, the man, the Mish, the legend, Craig Mish, here on Swings and Mishes. How are you doing today, Craig? I'm doing well, Jeremy. It's great to be with you. I think we have three of these left during yep. the regular season. Maybe we'll yep. do a postseason recap of some kind, but... We're coming down to the wire. A few weeks left. Pirates and Marlins scintillating series this weekend <laughs> at Marlins Park. Not many good seats still available from what I understand this weekend. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, we're, we're kind of down the stretch here. But yeah. at the list, we've seen some some fun stuff over the last mm-hmm. week or so. So we'll get into it. Yeah, just about uh, nine home games left in this season, which is pretty crazy to be here at this point after uh, this stretch of the season. And and strangely enough, you know, despite some of the struggles the Marlins have had, this has been one of their best stretches since early May. They've won five of their last seven series, including against some division opponents where they've sort of tried to play spoiler. What have you seen on the field from the Marlins over the last few weeks? Well, I, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're back to talking about Sandy pretty much at the top of, mm. of every single one of these podcasts of just how good, he has been, and he, and he just continues start after start Amazing. to just pit, have his best pitching performances of his life, I'm guessing, and, and yep. his career over the last month or so. So he is definitely closing out the season very, very strong, and, and we'll see where the contract negotiations, if any, go in the offseason. They're not talking now about anything, so we're gonna, we'll wait and see in a couple weeks where that goes. But I, I think that the the most positive development since we talked last is probably Jesus Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Jesus has has been, has homered a lot in September, and and has looked like he should be manning one of the corner outfield spots for the Marlins to start the season. 
Now, obviously, September is is foolish sometimes. You can really get fooled, and, and some of these home runs he has hit have been against subpar teams. That is true. But there's no question that his power does look legitimate. Yep. And and the other thing that I would say about him that is really interesting is that he's had a really hard time even back going back to when he was with the Rays staying healthy, and he's been healthy for the most yep. part this season. I think that that is a very significant development for him outside of the the COVID issue that kept him out for a few weeks. But uh, to me, I, I feel pretty comfortable with, when people ask me, hey, what do you think about Sanchez starting in left field or right field? I don't think his defense is great, but I think it's, it's serviceable enough. But mm-hmm. I do feel like if you told me opening day next year, He's batting sixth. He's in left field. I I would be okay with it. I think right. that that's that's a development that I wasn't sure about a month ago. Sure, but but I I think you can take what he's doing now, and and try and carry that over into next year. So that to me is probably the the number one thing of all, and the one thing that I'm probably watching the most as we go down the stretch here, Jeremy. Yeah, you and I spoke about this sort of a few weeks ago, going into the final couple of months. What was there to look for at the time? We were saying specifically it was Jesus Sanchez and Jazz Chisholm Jr. and watching them the rest of the year. You see other young guys come up as well and and participate in that. And one guy who we haven't seen on the field for the Marlins during this stretch, he's been out since September 5th now. It's Jesus Aguilar. He's been out with that knee inflammation. Craig, what's the update on Jesus Aguilar? Yeah, we reported in the Herald earlier this week that he's not going to come back uh, this season. The only thing that remains questionable at this point and and I and I believe the Marlins diagnosed this as inflammation. Mm-hmm. There have been some people who have hinted to me that it could be uh, you know sig- significantly more than that, meaning a torn meniscus or something along those lines. Now I don't want to state that as factual because I don't know that to be factual at this point. Uh, but if this is the kind of injury that's going to keep him out for the rest of the season, then clearly it's it's far more extensive than just inflammation so the question that has to be asked at this point is if Aguilar is uh, going to have to have surgery uh, how long potentially that would keep him out and how deep into the postseason that would be if it was sometime on a in a simple I mean it's not a simple meniscus tear but if if that was the case and he had the surgery let's say next week or the week after that I don't see any reason why come January he shouldn't be able to be on both feet and hitting and fielding mm-hmm. Uh, which would put him in line uh, for potential spring training. But again, you now have two players for sure that I would tell you that if he undergoes surgery, you cannot just blanketly assume that you'll the first day of spring training, they'll be out there fielding and hitting. Brian Anderson also had uh, surgery, successful surgery earlier this week. And, and, and the Marlins have said publicly that, that they expect him to be ready for spring training. I, I, I can tell you that, you know, if he gets in spring training games at some point midway through to me, from what I understand, based on the recovery time, that would be a bonus. So mm. let's 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 hope wow. for the best and hope that this rehab goes well for him. And then we'll just have to wait and see on Aguilar. Certainly, I am speculating on this. If Aguilar does not have any kind of surgery at all, there's nothing to talk about here. Right. He does beg a lot of questions. He's going to be basically off his feet when they go through salary arbitration. Uh, you know, you know, yeah, coming up here in a couple of months. And that's that's another dynamic because certainly he's in his final year of arbitration and would stand to be close to a $10 million player. Uh, given the fact that Miami didn't trade him at the deadline, it, it's pretty much, to me, safe to assume 
that they're going to tender him a contract because right. if they non-tendered him, that would be a blunder at the deadline to not move him because they could have got something back in return. So, uh, you know, in terms of surgeries, it's interesting because now you have Aguilar, you have Anderson and you have Cooper right. uh, and, and Cooper's timeline, I think is, is faster now at this point, I think over the next month or two, he'll be ready to go. So those, those are the, the injured sort of dynamic uh, players as to where we're at. And we'll just wait to see if Aguilar does have surgery or not. And we've had so many conversations about what the Marlins need to do in the offseason with their roster, but that's sort of taking health into account. You always have to look at those things and say, all right, who's going to be ready come the start of that regular season? So it might have to alter some of those plans. But the guy we've seen at first base as a result of Jesus Aguilar being out, we've said it, it shouldn't probably have taken Jesus Aguilar being out to see this guy. But Lewin Diaz has finally come up. He's had about 30 at-bats since being called up from AAA for the Marlins. What have you seen in Lewin Diaz so far as a Marlin? He's had a couple of homers, a couple extra base hits over the last few games. Yeah, not enough. I think they probably should have had him up earlier to give us a better indication. I'm not a huge guy in terms of September numbers. I've seen mm-hmm. this, this happen too often to fall victim to it. But again, there are not 50 guys on every team now. There's only 28. So you would say that your best 28 are, are on the team now with, with Aguilar out. Lewin's getting a chance to play. Seems to me he plays a very good defense. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that they're going to have to worry about. Is it fair to say that you could just pencil him in at first base next year and assume a good offense? I don't know. I, I don't know that I could say that. Uh, I mean, he did, he did have his best game of his career last week uh, or this week where he had two home runs. So that's a positive, but uh, you know, it's, it's not a position that, that I think that they intend to attack in the off season. I do think either Diaz, the combination of Diaz, Aguilar, Cooper, I would assume two of them will be back. One will play first. If there's a designated hitter, the other one will be the DH. And I and and I would say that I'm also comfortable in, in if they decided to go with Lewin right out of the box and he's the first baseman. If if their off season is good beyond that, it's something right. that I could live with. It just comes down to sort of what they do because I would think if Lewin Diaz is the starting first baseman for the Marlins in 2022, and he's in the opening day lineup. Jeremy, he's got to be batting seventh or eighth. Right. I don't, or even ninth if there's a DH. Like mm. he's going to be at the bottom of their lineup to start the season, which again, I'm okay with if all of the other chips fall into place. But he's another one that I'll be watching in the next two weeks. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, right? Because as we see Lewin start to produce here in September, as we see Jesus Sanchez continue to produce, and we talk about, you know, Jazz and, and Brian De La Cruz as, as we have conversations about other young guys who might be around the roster. It is all going to be indicative of what the rest of the offseason moves are, whether or not we are excited about those guys starting in their positions going into next season because it takes placing this whole roster together. So it will be interesting to see. And that's all at the major league level for the Marlins. But Craig, last episode, we actually spoke a bit about the minor league advocate group um, that was sort of circulating on social media and specifically with the Marlins. Do you have any update there for the Swings and Mishes listeners? Yeah, I and and again, uh, you know, I promised that when this this happened a few weeks ago that I would follow up and it's it's I find it interesting is that when we hear about a story, everyone freaks out and mm. on social media everyone's going bananas and then we have not heard a thing. It's like it just kind of went away. Right. But I will not let I mean you guys have to trust me. I'm not going to I'm not going to just, 
you know, dismiss. I always follow up on things that are going on. And, and I can tell you that they have spoken with the Marlins. They've, uh, they've spoken with, um, with Jeff DeGroot. And uh, I feel, it, it, according to hearing both sides now, from Miami's mm. side and the advocate side, I don't want to get into too many details because not a lot, I don't know a lot, but I can tell you that at the very least, that first step has been taken uh, mm. in, in, in terms of where uh, I think things need to be. Uh, so does that mean this is resolved with the minor leagues and, and, and taking care of the kids and all that? No, it does not. But I would tell you that the Marlins, unlike a lot of other teams have been receptive at the very least in opening up the conversation. Uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I hate to be in the middle of these sort of mm-hmm. things, but, you know, I guess in the position that I am, sometimes I'm the one that, you know, finds myself in this spot. Hey, do you know this is going on? Why aren't you saying anything about it? Right. Um, and I, and I do take responsibility in that because I want to make sure that, that the right thing is being done, but certainly I don't control the advocates and I don't control the, uh, and I don't control the, you know, how the Marlins are choosing to do business. Um, I think that to me, this is more of a major league baseball issue taking care of their minor leaguers than it really is a Marlins issue, but nonetheless, the first step has been taken. There has been contact made from uh, my knowledge in terms of, uh, of what they've been trying to accomplish. They've been trying to accomplish just simply getting people on the phone from the organizations to speak to them about the problem. And they have had no luck whatsoever. Hmm. I can tell you that when I had my conversation uh, with them, I told them specifically, Hey, uh, you know, you may want, <laughs> you may want to try and get in touch with the Marlins before you do anything else. Cause maybe you'll have a better experience here. Right. And I'm thankful to say that I was able to aid in that a little bit. That's I don't want to say that I did it because that's not, the, that's not the case, <laughs> but I was able to at least be a conduit. I feel like in this situation, the two sides have talked. We'll see where it goes from there. I'm going to leave it hey, at that. That's, that's just about all we can ask for when we talk about these types of conversations. So glad to know that those things are moving in the right direction. Um, when we talk about the Marlins minor league system, it's not just the guys who were drafted, but it's also international signings. Um, and there was some news within the Marlins this week as they relieved the Marlins international scouting director, Fernando Seganal, of his duties in that role. Craig, w- what is going to happen with Fernando Seganal? Will he be within the organization in a different sort of role? Or what's the deal here with Seganal in the Marlins? Very well-liked individual, Fernando Seganal. I uh, have come to know him for years. He's very easy to find sitting behind home plate. Uh, at that spring training yep. games, he's a yep. huge man. He's one of the biggest men <laughs> in, on the baseball field that you'll, uh, you know, come in contact next to. He is like the uh, Aaron Judge, uh, <laughs> you know, of of, of scouts. I of guess. Scouting. Yeah, he really is. He really is. So I was a little sad to see this happen, but yeah. uh, you know, look, I, I look. The Marlins have their decision their reasons why they make the decisions. This is a hand picked individual that came over from uh, the Yankees, uh, virtue of Gary Denbo. So. Uh, you know, Gary obviously has a very strong voice in the organization and, you know, clearly there are some things that they feel they can do better in that position. I'm not entirely sure what those are, whether it is leadership or, uh, or, or I, I just don't know the answer to it. I'm just simply speculating, sure. but very clearly they want someone else uh, doing what Segi uh, has been doing, whether or not he's going to accept a different role in the organization I don't know at this point. And I can also tell you that from my knowledge, I don't think that they really 
like had an immediate replacement like oh we really want this guy and we got to get him now so we got to demote Segi. i don't think that was the case hmm. either but there's a very big position in the organization because international scouting is 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 the wave of of what you need to do to be successful on the field uh, you know, the Marlins are on an even playing field, essentially, with all of these other teams right. to, be able to get the best kids from around the world, and they need to hammer it. Because uh, when you're on an even playing field in terms of money, given the, those pools that you have in order to spend until they do a draft, which I think is coming soon, but until that happens, you, you basically have had uh, full reign to do whatever you want. You just have to spend the money within the pool that you're allotted. And, uh, and at least Miami has shown the effort. It, it's worked out a little and, and some things have not worked out as we know with the international as well. So mm-hmm. hopefully this works out for the Marlins works out for Fernando Seganal, but clearly they'll have a new international scouting director. I, I would guess by the end of the year, that'd be my guess. Right. Yeah. Not very often that there are ways in which the Marlins are on an equal financial playing field with a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox or whatever. So that's where you have to take advantage. And so the Marlins are set to try to find a new way to do so. One sort of piece of breaking news toward the end here um, that we found out later here in the afternoon is that the Marlins are demoting second baseman, third baseman, Isan Diaz. Craig, what are your initial thoughts on that news? Yeah, so th- this is this is one of probably at least two or three moves that signals to me the end of the line mm-hmm. of a player and his opportunities in the organization uh i have been wrong many times before on these players i do <laughs> want to preface that fair <laughs> but but to me perhaps this does signal that and to kind of take you back here and and i could even go back as far as when isan was acquired in deal mm-hmm. Th- these are really hard conversations to have because uh, you know, Isan is a very, very nice person. He oh, really yeah. is a nice kid. And, 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 and it, and it becomes difficult because you cover the players, you get to know them a little bit and, and, and you, and I personally try to force myself to keep distance with these guys, because I know that the time has come is going to come where, uh, you know, it could go bad. And yeah. that's kind of what happened with him. You know, a, uh, a very, a uh, wonderful debut for him hitting that home run off the Grom. Like, I think that that, you know, in the end, he'll always have that forever. He'll have that. Yeah. Yep. That's, 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 that's a big one with his dad, uh, you know, going crazy. It was a wonderful moment. That I remember moment watching it better, live. I'd almost trade that moment for like a three or four year mediocre career. Like that moment was so great. You know, it was, I, it was great. Really. It was great. And, 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 you know, nothing went well though, after that, mm-hmm. you know, like nothing, like he just, poor you know really huge gaps in getting hits at both in spring training and at the major league level like oh for 20s and oh for 30s yeah, just yeah. these runs of at bats where where it, it's like the, a different player almost like mm-hmm. it, like you can't even explain it like isan why are you not swinging the bat like it's it's so bizarre uh opting out during the covid year uh we you know a little you know stuff going on there and then getting hurt and coming back and then going to winter ball opting out they like just a, a very odd uh course of events i mm-hmm. would say for him over the two or three years and and does this now i mean look he has not hit at all at, at the big league level so that, does this now uh signal uh, the end of his time potentially with the Marlins. I, I mean, he's played a very admirable defensive third base yep. 
And that is all I can say. There has been nothing else in terms of positive that I could add to, to, to that. He uh, has proven he could play multiple uh, positions defensively. Is that worth something to another organization or even Miami to take a shot on? Maybe. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But it would be best for him and and honestly, some others on the team to get to a new home, mm-hmm. get in front of some new eyes. Uh, you know, maybe somebody can figure something out with them offensively and 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 figure that stuff out. But it, it just it it did not work for for Eson in Miami. And I can and I would guess though, um, at this point, um, you know, that's kind of uh, the end of the line there. Now, the uh, the flip side that you know everybody obviously wants to talk about today here on the show is that why Eson is uh, no longer here and then the and the answer to that is uh, you know the Marlins are going to see uh, Peyton Henry the kid who they acquired in the trade for uh, John Curtis and uh, and Peyton Henry is going to get his first opportunity behind the plate and make his first career start tonight against the Pittsburgh Pirates so. Um, kind of feel like maybe that's what we should have started off with maybe but but it's all fluid as we go jeremy so that's kind of the the way that it is so peyton so peyton henry get get get, get your first look at him tonight all right we can a a new a new look behind the dish it'll be it'll be interesting to see him hey another uh acquisition from milwaukee right and full circle here yeah one acquisition from milwaukee Milwaukee down yeah one milwaukee and one milwaukee out all right so peyton henry behind the dish isan diaz now demoted uh, Craig, any final thoughts, news, notes, anything before we do wrap up this episode of Swings and Mishes headed into the last extended homestand of Miami Marlins baseball? This season? Yeah, this is this is uh, we're coming down to the end here, certainly. And, and I got my eyes on college football with Florida and Alabama on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But what uh, what I would encourage you to do this weekend is, first of all, I would never uh, I would never advocate rooting for another team. OK, I, I may be cynical but I'm not, I'm not telling you to root for the pirates. Okay, please. Okay. But what I would say is that if, if you are interested at all watching on television or going in person, you have a catcher on the other side of the field this weekend uh, with the pirates who I am a fan of. And I know those of you, you watch highlights and, and, you know, you see, and you look at stats and, and that's the way you know people watch baseball. Listen, analytics are just looking at the numbers. I get it. I would invite you to take a look at this, this player. And you saw him play the last time they played against Miami and you saw how well he played. Just forget all that stuff. Watch this catcher and watch how he catches and and get back to me either on social media, email, or somewhere else. You tell me what you think. Is this the, is this the catcher the Marlins should be pursuing in the, they're going to have to give up a lot if they do, but is, is this the catcher that you think the Marlins should pursue in the off season? Maybe you think they should, maybe you think they shouldn't, but you're getting your firsthand look this weekend, right? So two of the three games, he's probably going to be catching Jacob Stallings. Uh, you know, there's your chance to, to watch him this weekend. And then Jeremy, you and I will be back next week, one more yep. week, and then we will call it a season. Yes, we will. And you can also take a look at Brian Reynolds in center field, huh? Go look at those Pittsburgh Pirates, <laughs> right? Hey, right. Uh, as we, as we wrap up this episode, I do want to say, I know we're wrapping down this season. Thank you so much to everyone uh, who has been listening to every episode of Swings and Mishes this year. And I will say, uh, and this is just a personal aside, but a, a number of Swings and Mishes fans who I know are Swings and Mishes fans have been incredibly supportive of my new project over at Bally with Miami Mic'd Up. And I'm so thankful for that and thankful to you, Craig, that you have sent them that direction. So thank you, everyone. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend watching the Miami Marlins and the Pittsburgh Pirates.